Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, your co-host, Mackenzie Koss. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Josh Shelton, the content producer at Sundance Institute and Film Festival. Welcome on, Josh. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much, Mackenzie and Nick. It's so great to be here. Yeah, uh, it's wonderful to see you again. We both were uh, collaborators on many projects back in Los Angeles. Back at Soul Pancake, yeah. So you're one of the first creative producers that we've had on the podcast. Do you mind talking a little bit about the role of producer from your vantage and how you work with creatives to bring stories to life? As a producer, I, my view of it is that oftentimes where I sit is in between the creative and the logistics. So in order to create video, as with a lot of things, there is inherently a lot of logistical moving parts, whether it's like scheduling or budget or um, you know crewing up and all those logistics. Uh, but there's no way to know what you need without the creative. And so when I work with, whether it's a content creator for online or a director for like a commercial or a movie, you know, they are the ones who are coming up with these great creative ideas. And then you got to figure out how do we bring those to life based on our money or our budget or whatnot. And so my, the type of producing I do is I sort of sit in between there and fully understand the creative in order to bring um, the logistics to life, or sometimes it's the other way around. We only have this much money. We only have this much time. So how do we kind of look at the creative we're trying to achieve and main and sort of distill down that core creative concept uh, so we don't lose anything from a message or branding, but we make it fit within our you know logistics budget and schedule and stuff. And you... I have to mention that you are a creative yourself, um, and I'm sure that informs some of the work that you do. Uh, do you mind talking about the value you believe uh, the producer role brings to your own uh, work as a creative, both in song and screenwriting and all, all these other ventures that you have? Yeah, ab absolutely. I think um, it can be, it's something I have to keep in check. Like, I think there's a lot of benefit to uh, bringing that producerial mind to my creative. So sometimes I get very excited about like, oh, I want to uh, make this uh, you know piece of content. And my producerial mind will be like, okay, well, you know what? I need to do it in one day, in one location with minimal crew. And I will use that to feed the creative idea. It suddenly becomes this really fun box to play within as opposed to box that is... Um, um, constraining. It becomes this like, I think there is a sort of liberation within limitations sometimes where you're like, oh, I have to figure out how to do this within these parameters. And then creatively, I get really, really excited. It's like, oh, great. This is a wonderful problem to solve. Or similarly, sometimes it's like, hey, you know what? We have more money. We have more time. Like, stop thinking so small. Think bigger. And then creatively, I use that whether I'm in sort of a brainstorm session or writing a treatment on my own or trying to collaborate with a director. Sometimes it's, uh, or a creative director, it's reminding, wait, no, let's go bigger. Let's go bigger, <laughs> let's go bigger. And so thinking, I, I really try to bring that, I think of the production of something and the creative of it as much as fluid as possible. 
whether that's like paring it down or, you know, making it as big as possible. But I really do think being fluid between the two is very important and imperative because ultimately that's what it comes down to. When I get hired as a producer, if someone says, hey, uh, we want you to produce this uh, branded spot, right? My first questions are going to be not like, oh, you know, well, we can only do it with one camera or one person and we have to do it in a day. It's going to be, what are we trying to achieve? <laughs> like, what is the creative? And once you understand the creative, then you can go, oh, it's a surprise. We're going on the street and surprising someone. We need a couple cameras <laughs> to capture that. Like, we, you have to understand the creative thing we're trying to achieve in order to know how to capture it. Or the other way around, like, oh, we're just doing an intimate conversation with someone. You know, let's just have one camera. Like, let's have one camera and like as minimal crew as possible to create a very personal experience. So I really do view that super fluid between the creative and the and the production. Do you mind going back a little bit and telling us how you started in this role and how you sort of found yourself in the role of producer? When I first moved to Los Angeles, I started working as a production assistant on big movies. On like, I think my first job was a Will Smith movie. And- Which Will Smith movie? It, it, it was, <laughs> um, it was Hancock. It was him okay. and Charlize Theron. It was, yeah, Will Smith, Charlize Theron, Jason Bateman, directed by Peter Berg. And um, it was just this huge movie. And I was a production assistant. And from there, I then got a call like a couple weeks later. Hey, you want to work on the new Indiana Jones? And it was the Crystal Skull one. So suddenly I'm on like a huge, crazy one. And then I went to like a Fast and Furious movie and then a uh, Adam Sandler movie. So I was in these huge movies. But what was happening simultaneously was there was this new website called YouTube. That, <laughs> Heard of it? Like a friend. It, yeah, it was like a friend of ours uploaded a, a video and was able to refresh it himself all day to get featured on the front page. It was like literally this new website. And for me, working on those huge movies, I took that as an opportunity to kind of ask questions. Why are there 150 people here? What is everyone doing? And then with the dawn of digital and YouTube, making short films on the weekends and making content, realizing, oh, you know, it would be helpful if someone, if there was someone else holding the camera or if there was another person helping in that way. And I got to see this like well-oiled, huge machine of Hollywood that's been kind of established over the last hundred years, talking about the production of it, the physical production of it, and then experimenting on the weekends and on off time and like trying to make smaller things. And on, but on those big budgets, I fell in love with when I realized it's teamwork. Like there is a definitive director at the top or creative head that is calling the shots, but they are trusting everyone below them to do their specific jobs. And that combined with the rise of digital, I started making stuff. I started getting hired because people realized, oh, you're thinking creatively, but you can own the logistics. And I think bringing that sort of big picture trust, like let's build a team, let's build a f sort of familial um, approach to this, bring this creative to life. Uh, that's where producing kind of made a lot of sense to me. It felt like I could 
kind of, you know, be involved in all aspects of it and also support people who are good at what they do. And what a unique vantage to come in with with such a valuable experience of seeing people at the top of their game. Wasn't, was Crystal Skull, was that Indiana Jones Spielberg? Who was, who was the filmmaker? Yeah, that was Spielberg. And um, it was the, I would say for me, the big takeaway on those movies was, and, and I think I apply this down, is that whether it's a Spielberg movie or a Will Smith movie, it is actually this team of the crew that is working together and running the day to day. And now the tone of the set is set from the top down. So I also got calls to work on, I'm not gonna say who, other filmmakers who have like negative reputations. And it was clear <laughs> that that set was not good to be on, even as an assistant, even at the very bottom. Whereas these other sets had a good tone set and that, sort of fast forward to then when I started producing and as uh, Nick and I know each other from working at Soul Pancake together, at that company is where I really started to work. I started to produce digital content where we were working with brands and I got to see a tone that was set by the top team there with Shabnam and Golries. And then I got to apply it to my productions I, I think it does go back to my point of reference is like, oh, when I was on that Spielberg movie or that Will Smith movie or Adam Sandler, because those two folks would like take time to make everyone feel welcome. And then seeing Shabnam and Golries and Rain create a similar culture at Soul Pancake. And then I would try to do that on the microcosm of my of my sets. So, yeah, it's it is connecting those dots of let's build a culture, let's build a team that is all going toward the same, you know, uh, final thing that we're making. A culture directed towards the vision. Uh, mm -hmm. So in addition to your work in film and standalone projects, you've also worked in-house for several brands. Uh, do you mind talking about how you communicate a brand's core value and how you identify that core value in your production process? Finding a brand's like core value, core approach, core message, I view as probably the first thing I need to figure out when I'm hired. Uh, because like I said, it's fluid. What are we trying to achieve here creatively? Often means what is the core value? What does the brand mean? I start with communication. I start with building relationships. I want to get to know the brand, which usually starts with also getting to know the people who that brand has hired, whether it's a creative director or head of marketing. I want to get to know that person. Now, I'm also going to study the brand guide, study the creative treatment. I'm going to go online, watch their existing videos or social, try to find as many points of reference and then just build a relationship so that ideally we get to the point where I'm not asking, what do you want? I'm asking, I, th I think it could be blue or red, or maybe that's not good because we have brand colors, but like, I think we could go left or right here. From everything I've seen, this brand usually goes left or whatever the analogy is. And they will usually say, yes, exactly, great, you're aligned, or 
they might say, actually, yeah, we've been going left, but that's why we're making this campaign because we're trying to go to the right. <laughs> like we're we're trying to we're trying to adjust. But without doing that research and trying to understand where they are or where they've been, I'm not going to be asking the right uh, questions. Uh, and similarly, uh, when I get to know a brand, I try to give them opportunities to say yes, but also give them opportunities to say no. Because sometimes if I say, okay, we're trying, for example, I was working with uh, Twitter. Twitter hired me during the pandemic to um, do these virtual events when everyone was shut down, but they still needed to communicate with their potential partners. And in that situation, I had to really learn to speak Twitter and understand the brand. And there was a couple of times where I would show them images of, hey, look, other um, uh, companies are presenting themselves with like green screens and all sort of digital virtual things. Based on the marketing I'm seeing from Twitter, I don't know if that's the way we want to go. And in that situation, they were like, yes, we want to be as grounded and real as possible. We want to be in the real world, because even though we are a digital company, it's about real conversations and we want to separate ourselves. So that was me trying to understand where they were at, but giving them the opportunity to say no, like, like no, we don't want to be digital at all. We don't want to be green screen. We want to be tangible tangible and physical. So I don't know if I've sort of meandered in my yeah, answer, yeah. but it's about that. Yeah. Are there any other projects that you've worked on that exemplify uh, isolating a core value or, or figuring out what their core messaging is and running with that? Absolutely. I think one of the more formative experiences I had when I first had to truly embed myself with a brand's perspective and learn it quickly was I was working with this company called Life is Good, which is uh, a clothing company. It's these two brothers started it out of Boston and they were, it was like, I think their 20th anniversary or something like that. They had a book coming out and they were launching a whole new digital presence. And so I was hired as the producer slash director for all of these, uh, you know, uh, all these, this whole digital series that was basically these short documentaries about people finding optimism in the face of adversity. And so we traveled around the country. I think we filmed in like eight states. Uh, I personally interviewed like over a hundred people and we had to turn out these videos very quickly. So we'd show up, you know, for like a couple hours in Mississippi, film this woman's story, interview it, and then we'd immediately start editing it into a short piece and we did it all over the country. But when we first started, we were thinking optimism. Okay, that's, you know, being positive. Like, so we were just thinking, okay, we gotta make these positive and uplifting. And I was working with, I think that head of marketing or someone high up on the marketing team and we were kind of showing them I think an edit and you know they started to approve it but because the CEO was there one of the brothers he looked at it and had to stop down and say hold on optimism is not blind we cannot just blindly show people being positive and he had a perspective that was I think his phrase was optimism is acknowledging bad things happen but choosing to be positive. And he was very 
um, convicted and and um, passionate about making sure we hit that beat. We have to acknowledge bad things happen and then choose positivity. Optimism is not blind, was something he would say. And first of all, that was so helpful for me and my team to, to make our videos, but also for me in the bigger uh, career trajectory of working with brands, to see a CEO just like stop down and communicate with their uh, head of marketing or whomever, whatever the person's role was, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm getting such incredible insight to witness this kind of conversation. And we had variations of that constantly because we were on the road and we'd be meeting up or like, I happened to be there the tw same 20 minutes that they had together before moving on. And, and so I just got to witness all these things. And similarly, actually, on the other side, Shabnam, the CEO of Soul Pancake, was basically my main uh, point of contact on the Soul Pancake side. So she was also breaking things down for me on like, well, you got to communicate with client like this, or I got to work this way, or I would see her emails to them. And I totally ripped all of that. Like uh, that's <laughs> like, I learned so much because I had like two CEOs on either side kind of telling me this is what we're trying to do and this is what we need to achieve. And it was this wonderful crash course in seeing how a brand identified themselves, the message they wanted to show and seeing how in this case a production company slash creative agency uh, wanted to communicate with the client and take ownership and, and and um and also give them what they needed. So absolutely. Like that that in hindsight was such a formative experience for me to see like okay, even a brand's message of optimism will likely have nuance based on whomever is owning that message within the company. First it's an amazing project. And second, it feels like also the whole plot of the movie Inside Out is is recognizing that being optimistic is not ignoring <laughs> sadness. It's welcoming sadness as as a, a, a way to grow. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And you know what? This probably wasn't too far removed from when Inside Out uh, came out. Um, but yeah, it totally is. It's and and it can also sometimes. I think it's important to remember when you're working with brands that the message we are trying to achieve or that they have defined for themselves um, may take on more nuances when you try to bring it to life through video or bring it to life. And so what you want is to have a good relationship. Going back to what I said earlier, if you build a good relationship with the people who are owning that message, you can then discover those nuances um, that, that wouldn't come out in a treatment or in a tagline or whatever. I wanna talk about a theme that you brought up in one of your answers, uh, where you talked about saying yes and saying no. And I think uh, a lot of producing has to do with having a very skilled mindset of when it's, when are you saying yes to a creative versus when you are saying no to a creative? Because I think no to a creative can often create conflict, um, but yes to a creative can also, also create conflict with your logistics, with your budget, with your time constraints, with your commitments. Um, do you have any philosophies around how to, to navigate those yeses and nos? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe in in general being yes and is the correct way to hopefully go through 
life uh, and also in work because we are trying to build. I really look at every project as how can we figure this out? So if I'm saying, how can we figure that out? This starts with a yes and. Now, to your point, sometimes if you just say yes, 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 things will escalate in a way that are not realistic anymore. Also, what I try to make sure I don't do is say yes when everyone knows the answer should be no, because then I'm not doing my job and I could hurt the trust. So I try to start with yes, but also knowing that if I'm saying yes, let's figure it out. How can we make this happen? When I do work, say to the my main contact, hold on, I don't think we can do that. That will have so much more weight because they're used to me saying, yes, let's figure it out. So when I finally have to say no or pause, hopefully it comes with like, oh, okay, this person has said yes. The fact they're saying no, let's stop and listen. One example I can think of about saying yes is I was on a shoot where um, the director wanted to give the client everything they asked for. And they kept saying yes. And I started to flag, this could be out side the scope of what we've actually agreed to. And that is always a super challenging balance because when you're hired to work with a client, you want to say yes all the time, but you also, the producer needs to manage what is within scope. But I think you can sort of find ways to make the scope bigger by going back to the creative, distilling down what we're trying to achieve so that we can keep saying yes without blindly, say, adding shots or hours to the day. So, so for example, if someone said, hey, we have this spot, we want to film, you know, with um, 25 people in a big outdoor um like public square or something, and they start to set up these parameters and uh, you say, yes, we can do that, great. And then on the day, they keep adding more and adding more. Instead of just saying, yeah, sure, we can do that. Yeah, sure, we can do that. We can actually stop down and say, okay, what are we trying to achieve with that? What is the thing that these add-ons are, are adding to the actual project or the creative? And that is sometimes something that you kind of don't want your director or your creative team to get too bogged down in the like, you don't want them to become the no person. You don't want them to say no. So that's where the producer can come in. And I would say some producers take the action of like, I'll play bad cop. I'm going to say no, uh, we can't do that. I don't agree with that. I think let's all be good cop. And the producer can step in and say, I understand the creative as well as anyone, hopefully. And therefore, I can say, hold on, what are we trying to achieve? And that is where I think the role of the producer is so valuable and where I really enjoy it because it's a way of not saying no, it's a way of course correcting and refocusing in a way that oftentimes creatives honestly shouldn't do. Like, yeah, they're all going to, every creative is going to be thinking about some logistics and they're not going to suddenly say, oh, let's do something insane. But they are free to think creatively, to focus on whether it's the writing or the directing or whatever it is. 
And the role of the producer is to come and be like, okay, all right, everyone, this is great. Big energy is happening, so big that we want to achieve more than we set out to do. How can we refocus it to still capture everything we need within the parameters? And that's why I believe producers need to think creatively and production-wise and say yes, yes, yes. And sometimes that yes is like, yes, and let's refocus. I wanted to jump back to when you had first started your career and had mentioned the then new channel YouTube. How do you feel personally quick consumption videos have changed the media landscapes and then your role as a producer? And how do you think that they will continue to keep evolving moving forward? In general, uh, I think it's fantastic and exciting. There are pros and cons to everything. There are different ways of telling stories. Years ago, I would have had a different opinion, but I think the more ways we can create spaces for people to be creative, the more we're gonna discover. Where I sit, my role is not to make the sort of type of TikTok videos that are just people filming themselves falling down in their house. And there is tons of short form content that I'm not hired to make. And personally, I don't enjoy consuming. But that doesn't mean I don't also <laughs> think it's an incredible medium. I find it mind blowing that I can watch something for 15 seconds and have an emotional response. And so on the producing side, the biggest challenge is we are now asking uh, camera folks to film things in a way that could be vertical or horizontal. The, those are very challenging because how do I frame the, how do I compose a frame if I'm thinking of two different um, aspect ratios? That's challenging. The other end though, I, and so this is, I actually think it's valuable for producers and brands to stay aware of what is happening. And so instead of saying, oh, short form content is crazy or I don't like it, what I personally did was I started consuming it. I was like, let me figure this out. I also, I you know went on YouTube and searched like, what are the trends? What is happening right now? And when I watch other YouTubers and creators break down what's happening and sort of show what's out there, as a producer, I start to get excited because I see it as a new tool, a new way to connect. And I actually, I mentioned this before, but I started a, a channel that is this kid's channel on Instagram called Bird Explores. And as I got into that, it has this little stuffed penguin. I'll show you um, for folks on video. <laughs> uh, for folks at home, it's an adorable little plushy penguin. And I bring that up because when I, it was during the pandemic, I was a new father and I wanted to start making something that was fun for me and my family. I immediately started filming it horizontally and it was interesting, but then I realized the algorithm wanted me to upload things vertically. And once I started making vertical short form content, it was so fun. And it was like, oh, I can frame things this way. I can cut it this way. Cutting every one and a half seconds is so much better than cutting every 2.3 seconds. Like <laughs> your brain gets into that, which is the same as I felt when I was 
you know, 12 years old editing on two VCRs. And we were like, make the cut on this frame, not that frame. It's all the same tools of, of filmmaking or storytelling or whatever you want to call it. But now we have a different lens. And so I personally think there is so much opportunity within the short form or the, or, or the vertical. And that, which I don't always bring up is my Bird Explorers channel, but that is definitively shaped the way I talk to brands when I'm hired as a producer. And even at Sundance, we were having a conversation about some content and I started asking the producerial questions of like, okay, is it vertical? Is it horizontal? Are we shooting for both? If it's vertical, we need to think like people might watch it without the audio on, which means we need more text, which means we do this. And I realized as I'm talking to them, like maybe 70% of it is my career as a digital producer, but at least 30 to 40% of that was my experience making my own kids content for bird explorers on Instagram because I've done it. And like as a producer, it's just so fun to also make something yourself. And I would like encourage anyone, whether you're a producer or a brand a creative or whatever, try to make your own content but also like go on YouTube and watch tutorials on like how to start an Instagram in 2023, how to start a YouTube channel, because people on there break it down as well. So I, I've sort of lost the question, uh, but I think it's all related and I encourage everyone. <laughs> but you answered so many more. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I, I just think there's opportunity and it's exciting. Um, and But I guess the one caveat I will say is like, it is good though, to the best of our ability to like I said, I guess that's my theme, refocus, come back to what are we trying to achieve? And if we know the primary place this lives is longer form, embrace that and trust that the editors will be able to make cut downs for short form. But if you're like, we want it to primarily be short form, embrace that, like shoot it vertically or at least think vertically and then get into that edit and like cut it every one and a half seconds and have fun with it. So yeah, I think it's an interesting great tool and we should lean into it. And I don't think it's going to disappear like Vine did, but um, if it disappears, then we move on to the next thing, you know? I will say that cameras have uh, started to adapt to new technology and a lot of cameras, especially Panasonic's have open gate, which is gives you a larger vertical uh, sensor size. Yeah. And that's specifically, so you can shoot it with your composition, but you'll have more of a vertical range to get higher quality vertical video. Yeah. which is wild yeah, yeah. that it's it's because of all this short form content. Yeah, I wanted to ask you a quick personal question because I feel like you draw inspiration from so many different areas. What is something that you always kind of go into a project with as far as drawing inspiration for that specific brand or project as a creative? You kind of always go back to or do you just kind of weave through it a bit? Yeah. Are are you asking where I find inspiration like, yeah. creatively? Yes. For each when I'm like brought onto a project or, or anything. Yep. I'm I'm definitely someone who enjoys taking things in. I grew up playing music. I grew up playing jazz. And that always starts with listening. So it's and, and I, I don't mean, of course, music starts with listening, but it starts with, okay, I want to learn how to play this tune or I want to write this thing. I put on music. I kind of study what's happening and then apply it myself. Like as a jazz trumpet player, you're, I'm literally sitting there listening to the drums, bass, this, and then I play my solo. 
right? You hear and then respond and have that interaction. I really do think that has shaped my perspective in all jobs. So if I was hired by Life is Good, like I said, I'm gonna start looking at what Life is Good is currently doing, or if the treatment, they haven't done anything like it, but the treatments are heartfelt documentaries. I'm gonna start watching heartfelt documentaries or with Twitter, it was similar. I'm gonna see what's out there on Twitter, but I'm also gonna start looking at what Instagram is doing and these other things. Or um, with, with Sundance, I'm looking at what our current things are. So I'm very much a, I wanna see what's out there, whether it's exactly what the brand is doing or as I watch this thing, that makes me think of something else. I'm going to go watch that or I'm going to listen um, to the to the to the suggested thing from there. So I'm one of those folks that I like finding inspiration out in the world and then distilling it down to what we're trying to achieve. Um, and then I'll usually like take a walk or or, you know, you know, go for a drive or things like that. So I'm I, I, I think that's. I heard someone refer to that as being more of a synthesis in a way. Like I sort of like synthesizing things and then putting it out, putting it out there. That's that's fantastic. I love when hearing people, whether they're in a creative role or not, just where they draw inspiration from and how that fuels each project that they go into. And like I said, conversations. I really do find like, let's chat, let's get to know each other. Let's talk about the brand. And talk about what we want to achieve like talk about what, what's your favorite movie or what's your favorite ad or like where what do you love about the the company or this brand or like how often do we use this product like i love i think conversations can go back and forth and then you also have that human connection and like oh yeah this part is so exciting or this thing i love and just getting that energy from each other whether that's me and the director or me and the creative director or even the account manager or whomever, you know, or the producer on the other side, like let's vibe about this and that will maybe distill what excites us. And then hopefully that simmers down to how do we achieve it? What's the uh, wildest ask that you've had as a producer uh, that you've had to creatively distill <laughs> into uh, logistical yes? when I did this show for Netflix called We Are The Champions, which was uh, produced by this company called Dirty Robber that had done a range of stuff and I worked with, but they did a lot of like Nike ads and, and, and you know, top athlete documentaries. But they pitched a show that was, let's film people who compete in the most absurd competitions around the world, the silliest competitions, but film them like they are Nike Olympic athletes. So they had sold this show and they needed um, a producer to come in who my role was, the title was field producer, but what they actually needed was a producer in the field who would be a creative partner and say yes. And so there was the, my primary episode, I did like multiple episodes, but the main one I did was the cheese roll. And you can see it on Netflix, we are the champions, the cheese roll in short, it's like a multi-hundred-year-old tradition of all these drunken uh, <laughs> British folks running down the Cooper's Hill, which is literally like, a, I can't even describe how steep this hill is. I was terrified walking up it. I was just scared <laughs> to walk up. And they all stand at the top, 
roll a wheel of cheese down and run after it, which really means they take two or three steps and then fall and bang and roll over themselves. And then we wanted to film it with six cameras. Uh, we had a like, um, uh, you know, like a phantom shooting a thousand frames per second. But we went out there and we were, you know, from a storytelling standpoint, we were following a couple of things, but there was this one woman we were following who had won a couple of times and was going to run again. And literally that run, quote, run, fall is, I think, 20 seconds. So we traveled halfway around the world to film this thing that would happen one time for 20 seconds. And the showrunner and the director needed a producing partner who could say yes and, and uh, there were even times where we said, okay, what if we like rig this, uh, this camera up on a wire and do this and that? And I think initially the line producer, you know, rightly was like, no, you can't do that. And that's where I came in, where I said, okay, hold on. Talked to the directors, like looked at Google Maps, called people, figured it out and was able to then go back to the line producer and say, this is how we're gonna do it. It's a GoPro, it's a certain rig. There's this tree, there's that fence. And we're going to, you know, I think we can do this. And then the line produces, okay, if you do it like that, great. Um, let's do it. And that I think is a great, uh, another thing I love about being the producer is that sometimes directors or creatives will be like, we need this. Which when you say we need this with that intensity, the other person, whether it's a line producer or an executive, is going to respond to that like need energy and be like, well, no, you can't have it. But the producer can be in the middle, in my case, and say, okay, this is what we'd like to do. This is what we're trying <laughs> to achieve. And let me tell you how great it would be if we do it. And we're going to do it safely. And we're not going to do that. And it is actually not that expensive. Or it costs X amount of money. But there's that other line that we've realized we don't need. So that money can just go straight over to this. And... Um, yeah, so I mean, capturing the cheese roll was definitely one of the wilder ones. And I then was positioned at the top of the hill with a walkie-talkie and like a safety vest, communicating with all cameras, you know, saying, and the cheese is rolling now. Like the 20 seconds starts now. Our main <laughs> character is in the striped shirt sitting right here. And it's like, I'm trying to get a countdown of when the cheese would be let go by all these just drunken Brits. And they're like lovely and helpful, but completely inconsistent. And um, <laughs> yeah, the, it was it was wild. The first fortunately, they do it like multiple times before our uh, lady went. Um, and the first one I was off. I was like, I, I'm like, I can't see the cheese. It's like it's silly. So, yeah. Oh, I think that's a beautiful that's way amazing. to end that segment. Uh, next up, we're going to ask. Yeah three questions that we asked to everyone that's been on the podcast. And you'll probably remember these questions because I think you worked on Zero to 100 series at Soul Pancake maybe once or twice with mm. me. Um, but they're just questions to get to know yeah. you a little bit more. Uh, and the first question is, what have you done recently for the very first time? So I haven't done this yet, but in two days, I'm about to fly on a plane with my wife and for the first time are two kids, neither of which have been on an airplane. And so while it hasn't happened yet, like flying with, and our kids are three and a half and one, and that is gonna be a first and we are preparing for that. And uh, I'll have to get back to you on it, but that is like 
when I think of doing something for the first time, that's coming up and we're going to have fun and it's going to be great, but it'll be a new element of parenting and marriage and everything. And I, I look forward to it, but yeah, yeah, traveling yeah. with two kids that's coming up in, in two days. <laughs> Where are you guys heading? Uh, we're doing, uh, we're visiting uh, my father-in-law who we haven't seen in a little bit. And then also my wife is an author and she just sold another book. And so she has some research uh, that is at the, um, in Georgia, I think at the university of Georgia, there's, um, archives for this woman that she's writing a biography about. Oh, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. Next question is if you were invited to a show and tell right now, what item do you think you would bring and why? You know, the first thing that came to mind was my trumpet. Cause I grew up playing trumpet. It's so important to me and I don't, I, I can still play, but a lot of people don't always see it. There, we have two of them on the piano in our house. And I think it's just like a fun thing to show kids. And it's both like artistic, but also practical. And like kids can hold it and, you know, I can play it. And it's 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 a wonderful thing that has shaped a lot of my life. And is like very tangible and fun to share, to show and tell. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and yeah. finally, if you were to meet yourself at a younger age, what piece of advice do you think you would give? I would remind myself two things. One is to trust myself and go for it. Create create things myself. Don't be too uh, don't be too dependent on other people as gatekeepers or even collaborators because I love collaborating, but that would be the main thing. I'd say, go for it, just do it yourself. And um, in conjunction with that, it would be um, enjoy every minute of it, spend more time with the people who you know are good people and uh, you know, less time with the people that you know are not, you know, or, or maybe not as uh, on the same path you're on. Those are the two things that like I think about a lot and remind folks. It's like just make it yourself, do it, like let other people say things, but don't give them the power of gatekeeper. And then the the better way to put it is the people you spend your time with are going to shape who you become. And if you're with people who are like similarly minded and positive and going good, like double down on those folks. And people who are a little like who are not aligned with you, whatever that means to you. Just don't prioritize them as much, you know? <laughs> it's a very kind way of saying. I love it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Josh, it's been wonderful to reconnect in this way. Uh, it's really cool to hear about your new opportunity with Sundance um, and to hear about your philosophies in general. Because I remember even collaborating, I was always amazed at your ability to stay positive and to stay uh, optimistic about a project, even when it feels like you're in the weeds or it feels like you're up against some brick walls. Um, and I still use your budget format to this day as my foundational budget for any projects. Fantastic. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I really believe it's like, have a good time. I, I actually, one of you asked a question going back on that first movie with Will Smith. I remember coming to set on like my first or second day and the director was like really upset about something and Will walked up behind him and lifted him up off the ground and said, we're making a movie, we're making a movie. And it was just like, 
this reminder of, oh yeah, like we're here to have fun. And I don't think about that a lot, but I do think like, I'm here to have fun, whether that's making something for a brand or not, like we get to be creative, we get to be connected, we get to be, you know, personal and personable, like let's have fun. So let's save the no's for when we need them. Let's say yes as best we can and just be sincere and and just we're very lucky to be in this position to make this kind of content. Thank you so much again for coming on, Josh. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast where we like to say strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.